I keep on replaying this conversation that I had with this Jewish carpenter yesterday. These, Jew, these Jewish officials, man, they, they always bother me. They're always a pain and a thorn in my side. And yesterday, again, I don't have time to waste. And again, yesterday, they bring me some other dude, some random dude claiming that this guy broke some of their silly laws, their ancient traditions, saying that he was their king. And they're bringing him to me to judge this guy. I'm like, I don't have time for this. So I had to do it, and I just brought him in and asked him questions. And honestly, I looked in this man's eyes, and I'm like, I saw no red flags, nothing that caused me to concern. I was like, I don't got time for this. So I looked at him, and I, I asked him almost as if it was a joke. I was like, look, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? And I couldn't believe how he responded to me. He, he, didn't, he didn't deny the claim. He almost entertained. He almost entertained it. And not only that, he, the, the guy didn't even beg me for mercy. When he knew that those, and I knew that those outside of my door were begging and out for his blood. And he didn't beg for mercy. He knew that if he didn't respond correctly, that I had the ability to save his life. And yet, and yet he gave me the most ridiculous answers. So I, I couldn't understand what was happening. I didn't get, so I asked him one more time to see if maybe this time he could just give me the right answer so I could just be done with the thing. And then I asked him one more time, look, so wait, are you the king of the Jews then? Is that what you're saying? Knowing full well that the only king is Caesar. So I asked him, and then he said the most ridiculous thing. He said, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I came into the world, to bear witness to the truth. I was like, what? What? I, in never in my life did I ever meet someone who was so sure of himself and so confident of his purpose. I began to wonder, and I was like, what? What does this guy know that I don't? What does this guy have that, that I don't have? And so hoping that he would answer me, I asked him, if he's here to bear witness to the truth, then, then what is the truth? And he didn't answer me. So I was frustrated. And I stormed out the room and I, I just handed him over to those accusers and to those scholars and all those Jews, the Jewish leaders, and I washed my hands in the matter. I was like, I'm done. I, 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 I can't. See, I thought that guy was crazy. I thought they were all crazy, to be honest. But now, now I'm just driving myself crazy, wondering what this man would have said to my question, what is the truth, if I just would have listened a little longer. And scene. <laughs> Look, I am, not, I am not testing out a second career. Can we put all the lights even brighter, please? I'm not trying to test out a second career here, all right? I'm not going out to, uh, you know, make uh, so that, you know, the MCU can hire me on in part of phase four or nothing like that, all right? But anyways, but that now, some of you, if you know the Bible, if you know the Bible, you know that story 
Sounded familiar. That was a conversation that semi-happened in that way. But that's, that conversation happened between a guy named Pontius Pilate and Jesus, and we find it in the gospel. And that moment, that moment where we see the gospel, where here Jesus is, this conversation happened right at the cusp of, of him dying, about to die on the cross. And here, here at this moment, we see Pilate ask one of the most profound questions to Jesus, to anyone, just what is truth? What is truth? If you could stand just like Pontius Pilate did, what questions could you, would you ask Jesus? What would you ask him if you had a moment to face-to-face? What would you ask him? What would you ask him? I'm pretty sure we'd all have a ton of questions. In fact, one of the reasons why we're doing this series, Binge Reading the Bible, is because not only have you admitted and semi-admitted, but the world admits. The world admits that they have questions. In fact, one of the top Google searches and YouTube searches for the Bible is this right here, how to read the Bible. A lot of people are out there looking because they want to know what is truth. Is this truth? I'm not sure if it is or not. Is this real? Can I trust it? And a lot of people do not binge read the Bible because they don't know how to process things in here. And they want to know. And I want you to know it is in super, it is critical important for you. Your opinion of this book matters. Because, see, you are unable to know the God of this book if you don't know what's in the book of this God. You cannot trust in the God of this book if you cannot trust in the book of this God. So this is why we've been looking over the last couple of weeks. We've been breaking down, walking through, talking about the history of the Bible, talking about all that means. Where is the Bible's role in our life? All of these things matter. They're so important. We've been looking at the categories of the Bible. If you've been hanging out with us lately, we've been, I don't know if you know, just to help you out. There are 66 books in this one book, and they are all organized in categories. And the categories have a purpose. And we've been tackling a category every week, starting in the Old Testament from the law And then the category of history. Then the category of the wisdom books. And then we finished the Old Testament last week with the category of the prophets. And now here we are in the Gospels where that conversation happened between Jesus. And we're going to look at one conversation that Jesus had prior to that one that was super important. Because here's the thing about the Gospels, guys. Because when you read, if you look at this, this right here. The majority, the fat part of that book, if you guys look at here, the fat part of the Bible is the Old Testament. That thin part here is the new. This is where Jesus starts. Look at all of that and all of this. Have you ever wondered why do Christians still hold on to the Jewish Bible? Why do we still hold on to the Old Testament when Jesus has given us something new? Well, we're going to talk about that today because that matters that matters the gospels matter it is the climax of the story everything that we've been looking at has come to this moment here the climax is and every good movie has it and this is the part right around you know at the end of the movie where everything just comes to this moment and it just builds up and releases and we get that aha moment oh my gosh wow the turn happens that turn is about to happen here in the gospels and there are four gospels for those of you that don't know and why do we have four well i don't know if you know that each gospel was actually written to a different audience and it's great and they actually speak to us today we're going to look at the gospel of matthew today matthew was one of jesus's apostles and do you know who matthew wrote his for the jews Matthew's audience was the Jews. That's why the book of Matthew is actually written in a very Jewish way. Some say that the book of Matthew was actually first written in Hebrew and then translated to Greek. 
And here in the book of Matthew, Matthew is actually organized in a Jewish way in five parts. Just like Moses wrote five books, Matthew wrote his in five parts to show that Jesus had this connection that he was a bigger and better Moses. And, and that's why in Matthew, you and I, we'd read it and we'd miss it. But there's so many Jewish details and Jewish phrases that they would have gotten understood. We don't, but unless you have a study Bible. But Matthew wrote his to the Jews so that they can see that the, he was the promised Messiah. Mark was different. Mark is the tiniest of all of the Gospels. Mark is the smallest and the shortest. It is actually, if, if you can look at all the Gospels, it's like the action movie of the three. Okay? Mark is quick, fast-paced, action-packed. Why? Because Mark wrote his Gospel to the Romans. And the Romans only spoke one language. Power. So Mark was written in an action-packed, powerful moment. In fact, Mark was not one of the original apostles. And his tradition says that Mark dictated his gospel from Peter, the eyewitness who was there. And which makes sense, Peter being that aggressive, all-in-your-face kind of a guy. That's how Mark's gospel comes out. Luke's was different. Luke was the most detailed-oriented of all of the Gospels. So many are historical facts here, there. I mean, the guy did not miss a word. Why was he so such a detail-oriented dude? Number one, because he was a doctor, and he knew and was able to analyze and dissect everything. But two, Luke wrote his Gospel to the Greeks. And the Greeks were very analytical and philosophical thinkers. And so he wrote his gospel, Luke did, to those thinkers and the, and the philosophers and the, to show and to prove to them that Jesus was who he said he was. And then we have John. John's gospel, if you read John's gospel, if you read all of them, you kind of notice that the first three kind of have some similarities and they feel like you're reading the same thing over and over again. I was like, wait a minute, I just read this. Why am I repeating this again? It's the same thing, right? Why? Again, the audience was different. But John's, when you hit John's, out the gate, it's different. Why? Because John was sensitive. John was different. John wrote his years later than all the others. And John, with only a few, actually, all of these gospels were written within 10, within the 20, 30 years of the actual events happening. But John's was different. John's wrote his audience to everyone and anyone so that they can understand the love of God. John's was different. But all four of them, all four of them were communicating a revolutionary message. Because there was in them, in the Gospels, they act like a bridge that helps to connect and explain everything that has been happening in the Old Testament. Everything that God has been doing in the world from beginning up until this point. And then the Gospel then creates a bridge from the old world, what God has been doing, and now introduces something brand new that is still happening today. And we're going to look at one of those Gospels. In fact, not only one of those Gospels, we're going to dissect one part of one of Jesus' most powerful statements that he had ever said. Some of us, you know, that you've ever heard of the Sermon on the Mount. I'm pretty sure you've heard of Elements of it if you've never read it. And that is found in the book of Matthew. Again, Matthew writing to the Jews. Here in the Sermon on the Mount, which has the, you know, blessed thou be's and all those other the beatitudes and all those great statements in there. But we're going to look at one section that was actually a powerful and very controversial statement that Jesus made. It was very auda audacious, something that he said. And it's see, in this moment, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is called the Sermon on the Mount because he was literally, it wasn't super creative of a statement, he's given a sermon on a mountain, okay? So he is on the side of a mountain in northern Galilee, and there he is overlooking a big hill, overlooking a lake. And it's actually, we, you can go visit that place today. It's actually a natural amphitheater where somebody with a good booming voice could speak out 
and the wind that from the lake would carry, bounce it against the mountain and carry it a really long distance. And so here Jesus is telling everybody present, he is telling them a powerful message that even secular scholars today, non-religious people today, love them, the Sermon on the Mount. Because they claim that it, it is one of the best, if not the greatest, moral discourse ever given. Religious and non-religious people still acknowledge and say that the Sermon on the Mount has the, one of the I mean, most profound statements of morality and right and wrong and how we ought to treat one another. There's power in here. But there's one moment that we're going to look at today which speaks to us and gives us a great idea of what God has been doing this whole time in the Old Testament and what he's about to do in the new. So let's look at what Matthew says. Matthew, he was there. He was an eyewitness to this. And here he is listening to Jesus. And years, a few years later, he writes down, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to look at 16, verses 6, 17 through 20. And in Matthew 5, in this uh, short section, we're going to see a few things. Number one, we're going to see three observations. That the scribes and the Pharisees who Jesus was talking about were destroying the truth. While Jesus was determined to fulfill it, and then he gives us the application for all of us today, them and today, that now his followers are called to be doers of the truth. And so let's look at chapter, verse 17, chapter 5. Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, this statement that Jesus gives, just a background, number one, the scribes and the Pharisees that we're going to mention, which are in the audience, there's a big mix of people, of Jesus' followers, curious people, scribes and, scribes and Pharisees. A scribe was someone in the Jewish culture at that time who knew the law, the knew the law of God very well, and they were the ones who wrote the modern day laws. They interpreted the ancient law into a modern day kind of representation. And the Pharisees were one of two kind of like political, religious camps, the Pharisees and Sadducees, and they were always competing against Jesus, trying to stump Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes were actually the ones who accused Jesus and brought him to Pontius Pilate, by the way. They hated him some Jesus. And here, when Jesus says, look, don't think I came to destroy the law and the prophets. The reason why he said that was because those scribes and Pharisees were saying Jesus was twisting the truth. Jesus was destroying it. And by the way, what is the law and the prophets? Everything in the Old Testament. I just want you to know. Because at the beginning of the Old Testament, Genesis begins the law. And the Old Testament ends with prophets. So when you, you ever hear the law and the prophets, I want you to say Old Testament. All right? So when you hear law and prophets, say Old Testament. Law and prophets? Law and prophets? Okay. Synonymous. Same thing. Good job. So... Here he says, hey, they're saying that I'm here twisting everything that you all know. And uh-uh, no, I didn't come here to destroy it. I came to fulfill it. In fact, Jesus turns the tables on these scribes and Pharisees, telling them, you are actually the ones. The ones you are claiming that I'm destroying it, you are the ones who are actually destroying it. You are the ones. And that's why Jesus had to come to fulfill it. Because they weren't doing their job. No one was doing their job. See, what was the purpose of the law and the Pharisees, the, the law and the prophets for those who weren't here? The law and the prophets had one purpose, one purpose. Actually, it was the two-sided coin, to reveal everything that was right with God. In fact, the law wasn't just rules to just give us. No, the law revealed the love of God. And God wanted us to follow the rules in love. 
So the law and the prophets, the law revealed the love of God and so did the prophets. Then when the prophets would speak to people saying, hey, you're in sin. God wants you to turn around. God wants you to turn. You're going the wrong way. All of that was done in love because God loved them. He wanted to turn back. And so the law and the prophets show us everything that was right with God, which is love. But the law and the prophets also revealed everything that was wrong inside of us. Given the law, given everything, we couldn't do it perfectly. You and I have all done this. Have you ever, knowing the right thing, this is the right thing to do, yet you've done the opposite? We're all guilty of that. Have you ever, knowing the right thing you had to do, yet you didn't do it? I want you to know non-action is action. Not to speak is to speak. And we realized, whoa, God, we can't, we can't do that. And so God introduced this sacrificial system. It was a system where, listen, you have broken my laws, and instead of me coming after you, instead of me having to punish you, let me give you an out. Something has to be sacrificed. Blood has to be shed. Punishment has to be taken out on something so that you could live. So an animal has to die so you could live. And that's what the sacrificial system was for. But then they realized year after year after year, after 1,500 years, there was no amount of animal sacrifices that could be enough. Where God could say, all right, you know what, guys? You're good. You're, you're not grounded anymore. You guys are done. All right, you're free. That's enough. I'm happy now. None of it was good enough. None of it was good enough. And yet here they are, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were supposed to communicate that love of God and to show them what was wrong in us so that the love can fix it, so that the love can do it. But they didn't understand the law and the prophets, and they knew it better than anyone else. Guys, you know what it is to have the Old Testament memorized? You know, I don't even have my wife's cell phone number memorized, okay? How many of you have your, how, how many of you know the people that you care about? No, you just have their name, right? Baby girl. There, that's it, right? And so, how many of you, which by the way, if you've ever, I've had to share my contact with some of you, and it comes back, baby girl, so... It's her, okay? So, look, some of us, we don't even have all of, our, all of our phone numbers memorized. Could you imagine having the Old Testament memorized letter by everything perfectly? These guys, the scribes and the Pharisees, knew the information better than anyone, yet they didn't really know it. They didn't, the love of God. See, you know what the content of God is supposed to do, guys? The content of God, meaning the information, is supposed to shape your character, which changes then your conduct, if that information hasn't caused a transformation, you still don't know it. If that information hasn't caused transformation, you don't know it. And these scribes and Pharisees who claim to be the truth tellers, who claim to be the gatekeepers, they were destroying it. They took the living, fruit-bearing tree that was the truth of God, and they turned it into a plastic plant. Artificial. How many of you guys have plastic plants in your house? You, know, you, ever, you ever been in grandma's house and got plenty of plastic plants? Right? I got a few. I got a few. We got some in the lobby. Why do we have plastic plants? Why do people love plastic plants? Because they're easy, right? No maintenance. Plastic plants are no maintenance. They're easy. They're always green. You don't got to water them. You don't, if they die, you don't got to go replace them. They're there. Even though they collect dust like nobody's business. Oh, my gosh, right? They just collect dust. But you know what? Even, even it doesn't matter how beautiful, how real the plant is, a plastic tree is still dead. Does it offer anything good other than just looking good? Here's the thing. The truth, the law and the prophets was a life-giving, fruit-bearing tree. 
and the law and the scribes and Pharisees turned it into a plastic plant. Had nothing good to offer the people. No fruit, no oxygen, no life, death. So Jesus had to come to fulfill, to bear witness to the truth like he told Pilate, to fulfill the truth that was in the law and the prophets. And so this is point number two, and we're going to look at verse 18. Let's check out verse 18 here. Jesus says in verse 17, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. See, Jesus says amazing statements here because number one, Jesus came to fulfill the law and was declaring the law and the prophets had a purpose. Do you see that? The law and the prophets had a purpose and they still have a purpose today because Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets in his lifetime. Yeah, that doesn't mean that we can throw away the Old Testament because he says not one of it is going to go away until heaven and earth pass away. Do you know that right now, the heaven that exists today is not going to be the heaven that you and I, if you are a believer in Christ, are going to experience when Jesus comes back? Do you know that the heaven that we will be in for all eternity doesn't exist yet? It doesn't exist yet. Because Jesus says this, the heavens and earth are passing away. Heaven and earth is dying. It's going to come to a conclusion and an end. And when that end comes, I'm going to issue, I'm actually going to issue a new covenant and a new commandment that's going to issue, issue in and usher in a new heaven and a new earth. But until then, until then, the law and the prophets semi-remain. Because it means that the truth, this is what he's saying, the truth still is the same. Jesus fulfilled it with his life, yet the truth still matters. The truth, that was the, what was right, what God said was right in the Old Testament was right is still right what God said was good is still good. What God said was evil is still evil. God's, the truth has not changed. But what changed then? What came to an end? Because he fulfilled something. What did he fulfill? Here's what Jesus fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled the letter and the spirit of the law. You know what the letter of the law is? Again, what, what do we say? The law showed us there was something wrong inside of me, something wrong inside of you. And it needed to be fixed. And we couldn't do it and we weren't good enough for ourselves. So Jesus came and fulfilled the letter of the law perfectly. Every ritual, everything that the law required, Jesus followed. He never broke one commandment, never broke one law. So not only did Jesus fulfill the letter of the law, Jesus also fulfilled the spirit of the law. What it was implying, what it was supposed to do. Just as we talked about that sacrificial system was meant to have an out, a temporary out. But it was also a sign and a symbol of the future. That one would come, one day one would come and end this system. And Jesus ended the sacrificial system not by coming and slaughtering this insane amount of animals. Jesus came and became the sacrifice. Jesus, while he was on the cross during Passover week, you know what was happening on Passover week? Right when Jesus was dying on the cross, the priests were sacrificing a lamb for the sins of the nation. That it was only going to be temporary. It was only going to last 12 months. Right when a priest was sacrificing a lamb for the temporary forgiveness of the sins of the people of Israel, the lamb of God was being sacrificed for the eternal forgiveness of the sins of the entire world, including us. Jesus fulfilled the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. He fulfilled his purpose. He fulfilled the purpose of it all. It, just like a seed. Guys, what is the purpose of a seed? A seed does not fulfill its purpose until you do what to it? It dies. 
A seed has to die for its purpose to be fulfilled. Yet, here's the thing. If I had a seed right now, I mean, it's amazing the potential that a seed has. Have you ever stopped to think about that? Imagine a tiny seed in your, in your hand right now. In that seed is the potential of something bigger than itself. In that seed is a tree or a bush or whatever that is going to grow up and, and grow and produce fruit that has seeds in and of itself. The science is amazing. But can I produce, let's say I had an acorn tree, an acorn, you know, an acorn seed or a little acorn, and it's going to produce an oak tree. Can I take that acorn seed, smash it, break it open, and then just watch a tree just? Is that how, is that how seeds work? Is that how seeds work? No, but they do, though. If, I mean, a seed breaks, and when you, you've seen some of the, the fa fast action motions, right, on YouTube and stuff like that. A seed breaks, and then there comes a little green thing, you know, slithering up, and then it goes out, and there it is. You've all seen that. So how come that doesn't happen when I just break it in my hand? Because the condition is different. A seed has to be broken and buried. That's what a seed does. See, what the, what the scribes and the Pharisees were doing, they were taking the seed of the gospel. They were taking the seed of the law and the prophets. They were taking the seed of the truth, and they were smashing it against the rocks with hammers, thinking that they can produce life and produce the salvation of God with their own efforts. And they were teaching people to do the same thing, that, oh, we can do this. I can do this. I can make this tree grow. I can, have, I can produce life. And the same way that you smash a seed against a rock, it's, not, it's just still dead. But how interesting. This is why Jesus, do you know how Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets? Because Jesus was broken and buried like a seed. Jesus was the seed of the gospel. He was the seed of the truth. He was the truth. He was the law and the prophets. And how ironic that the scribes and Pharisees, they were the ones who were accusing Jesus of destroying it. They were, they were the ones accusing of him of ending this whole system. And what did they do? They broke his body and buried him, buried him in the ground. And then what happened? See, when you take a seed that's broken and you put it in the ground, life happens. The dead and broken body of Jesus that was buried in the blood-soaked ground, his own blood, produced new life again three days later. Jesus restores the tree of life to us because he was the seed that was broken and buried and died so that we can find life. The tree of life has been restored through Jesus. He fulfilled the law and the prophets. So now what happens? What ended? Here's the good news, guys, for all of us. The rule following that's in the Old Testament, so many of these things is done. There's all the, guess what? You can eat bacon now on Father's Day. Praise Jesus, right? There's bacon, barbecue, pork. Woo! All right, right? That's Father's Day. That's all. The, that's, the, that's what the menu calls for today. That's what the menu is. Guess what? You can do those things. You are free to eat meat and not vegan soup. It's all good, right? You can do the, all of it. It doesn't matter. You are not stuck to certain regulations, certain laws, because those were meant for a purpose. It was an end to a mean, but like all means, they have to come to an end. And it was for a moment. For, it was good for a moment. Jesus didn't fulfill those laws and rules because they were bad. We talked about that. The law was the most revolutionary thing to ever happen in ancient, even still today. It's great. The law, Jesus says, hey, not one of the law, I fulfilled it, but not one, even iota is like a little dash. It's a Hebrew dash. Not one little dash is going to go away because I fulfilled the letter of the law. That means that you guys don't have to be Jews to be, to love Jesus. That's the good part of it. You don't got to be a Jew, act like a Jew, love like a Jew to be 
saved and to love Jesus. That's the good part about it. We are free from rule following, but you know what we are not free from? Living under the rule of God. I got to say that again. I'm going to rewind that. Say it again. Okay? Because that was good. I want to make sure I didn't just over some of y'all. We are free from rule following. Jesus fulfilled the letter and the spirit of the law. So he fulfilled the letter of the law. So we don't got to follow the law perfectly. We don't have to follow rules, but we still have to follow God and follow and surrender to his rule in our life. That's still fulfilling the spirit of the law. And that's what Jesus comes to say next. Check this out. In verse 19 through 20, we're going to wrap this section up. And this is what Jesus declares. Here he gets the most scandalous part of his message. In this part he says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of these, least of the commandments, if you relax the least of the commandments, the most insignificant one, you relax the least of these commandments, and you teach others to do the same. You will be the who? Least in the kingdom of God. But for whoever, what? Does. Whoever does them and? And teaches them means teaches them to do. Those who do and teach others to do. Got it? Those who teach and teach others to do, they will be great in the kingdom of God. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of God. Never enter into the kingdom of God. So what is Jesus saying? Again, the whole Sermon on the Mount is how to live a life under the rule and authority of God. No longer by following rules, but you still have to live under his rule and authority. And what does Jesus tell his, now his followers to do? Well, he tells his first one not to do, right? Did you catch the negative example? Do not be a relaxer of the truth. You got to be a doer. See, the scribes and Pharisees, they failed the purpose. They, just, they tried to destroy the truth. Jesus came to fulfill it. He had a purpose. He fulfilled his purpose. Scribes and Pharisees failed at theirs. You and I, the people that Jesus was talking to and us today, you and I have a purpose to do and to help others do, to help other people realize it's not just paid, it's not just telling you information. It's not just giving you content. It's allowing that content to hit your character and come out in your conduct. It's that seeing that information become and do something in you that causes a transformation that you are never the same again. In fact, you are not just somebody different. You actually learn to become the real you. You and I, we're all out there looking for, trying to discover ourselves, find ourselves. Right? You ever, you ever heard some people say that? Some of y'all trying to do that. I'm trying to find myself. I'm trying to experiment and find myself. Right? Look, I found you. You're right here. Okay? Look, God loves you. Okay? He knows where you are. Okay? God, you don't got to look for God because God's not lost. He knows how to find. He found you. He came to find you. And now we're called to not be relaxers of the truth, but be doers of the truth, be appliers of the truth. Notice that this statement he said, your righteousness has to exceed the scribes and Pharisees. You don't, for you don't, you don't even phased. I want you to understand, when he said that, everybody in the house went, <gasps> when Jesus said that, I guarantee you, everybody gasped. <gasps> what? It's not a big deal for you, but again, here's why. Why was that such a big deal? Because again, who is Matthew writing to? Jews. And who did the Jews look up to? Who were the heroes? The Pharisees and the scribes. Why? Because they knew the law better than anyone else. And the law mattered. The law was important. 
They were the best rule followers, actually. They were the best rule followers. And Jesus is saying, uh, if you want to be them, I want you to understand you got to be better than them. And everybody was like, what? Hey, what? And I will never enter the kingdom. Jesus, if there's no hope for them, what hope is there for me? Do you see how white people would have just gasped that, that moment? That's like Jesus coming around and telling you and turning around and saying, hey, pick somebody that you look up to. Pick them. I mean, you're a hero. You're a hero. You're a spiritual hero whatever. It's like, you got to be better than that person if you want to be saved. I'm like, yo. If he, if he's not enough, what hope do I got? What hope do I got? And so at that moment, Jesus says, well, what you need to, he gave them the out. He says, what do you do? Do. What do I do? What should we do? Do. Do. The, apply it. Do. Be, if you are doers of meaning, what happens? You know what you, when you do with the content? You are allowing that content to do something in you. You are allowing that content, that information, the word of God, the love of God, the truth, to do something in you that actually impacts all that you do. You are to be a relaxer, not you know, I'm sorry, you are not to be a relaxer of the truth. You have to be a doer of the truth. Because here's the thing, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, again, they thought it was, they were going to be good enough. They thought that being good was good enough. They thought if it being nice was good enough. They thought, that, wow, God, look at me. Look at how good I'm following your rules. I mean, you have to love me. You have to bless me. In fact, I got money. I'm, I, I, things are good. Things are good. And so you must be happy with my effort, right? You must be happy with my effort. That's what they thought. But see... Your efforts cannot produce life. It can't. It's in this way. We're all about to eat in uh, 45 minutes or so. Okay, y'all been going on it. Let me ask you a question. What happens if from now on today you decide, you decide today, I'm like, all right, from now on I'm going to eat, and this is how I'm going to eat, and I'm going to live for the rest of my life. Every time I get food, every time I'm going to get food, I believe that if I just lick the food, I'm going to gain all the nutrients that are in it. What, what's going to happen to you if that's your approach to life? Okay, how long are you going to live if, you, if they give you, I don't care how nutritious that meal is. You can soak it in, smell it, look at it, you can lick the bat snot out of that food. Okay, and will you gain the nutrients just by licking food? No. You got to eat it. It has to be a part of you. The scribes and Pharisees, their attempt, their attempt of being good enough to be saved is the equivalent of you trying to live your life and just lick food. You're going to die. You got to be better than that. And how can you be better than that? You don't relax the truth because that's what the scribes and Pharisees were doing. They were relaxing the truth. You need to be a doer. You need to believe it, receive it, let it change you. And do, let it come through you. That, that is what we're called to do. See, Matthew, again, Matthew gives us his account. Matthew tried it. Matthew, as a good Jewish boy, grew up in the school and grew up in the system. And those who became scribes and Pharisees, those who became those people were the cream of the crop, the smartest of the bunch, the most well-behaved. Those of you, if you ever got detention, yeah, you wouldn't have missed the cut. Okay, anybody, you know, skip school a couple times, you would have missed the cut already. You wouldn't have been good enough to qualify. 
So we know that Matthew wasn't good enough to be a scribe and the Pharisee. We know that he wasn't a good rule follower because we know his job description. He told us he was not a Pharisee. He was not a scribe. He was a tax collector. The only reason why, if you were a Jew, you decided to be a tax collector, because you were out for one thing. That's it. That's the reason why you became a tax collector, because everybody hated you. If you were a tax collector, you were scum to Jewish people. But here's the thing. You became a tax collector because there was, there was money to be made. You can, I can buy new friends, man. Forget you, man. You don't want to be. I can buy new friends. I'll make some new friends. It's all right. It's okay. It's okay. And we know that he was like, you know, I can't be a good enough rule follower, so let me just go out there and just try to do what I can. Let me just do me. Let me make some money. And let me find and just live my life. You know what? We know, we know that that money wasn't enough for Matthew. Do you know how I know this? Because one day Jesus came up to his tax booth. Now, Jesus didn't show up with a W-2, okay? Jesus didn't show up with a W-2 like Matthew's H&R Block. Hey, it's April 15th. You know, Matthew, can you help me do my taxes? Jesus walks up to Matthew and doesn't hand over a sheet of paper. He looks at Matthew and says, hey, Matthew, calls him by name. Follow me. I want you to know that, that rabbis... Rabbis during that time would come to different people and they would go to students. And if a rabbi ever said to you, follow me, that was an an invitation. That means you were worthy. That means you were worthy to follow in the feet of a rabbi, of a master. And why is he over as a tax collector? Because he didn't think he was good enough. Let me find my life and money. And it wasn't enough. Do you know why I know it was enough? Because the second he said, follow me, Matthew left his job, left everything where it was. And went to follow Jesus. He was like, wait a minute, I have a second chance? I have a second chance? That's what Matthew did. And Matthew records this and so much more to tell the Jewish people that Jesus, Jesus was the true and better version of everything that we have all read about. He, it's in him that we can find this life that we've all been missing. In fact, let me just show you a little bit of what all the gospels are trying to communicate about Jesus. And what Jesus was fulfilling in the Gospels. A much tougher garden. And whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel. Who though innocently slain has blood that cries out. Not for our condemnation. But for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham. Who answered the call of God. To leave all the comfortable and familiar. And go into the void. Not knowing whither he went. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all. While God said to Abraham, now I know you love me, because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. Now we, at the foot of the cross, can say to God, now we know that you love me, because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. Jesus is the true and better Jacob, who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve, so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, who is at the right hand of the king and forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses, who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job, He's a truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. (laughs) Is that a type? See, that's not typology. That's an instinct. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, 
who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life, who didn't just say, if I perish, I perish, says, when I perish, I'll perish for them to save my people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so we could be brought in. He's, he's the real Passover lamb. He's, he's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. The Bible's not about you. You see how Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets? He was the true and better See, when we read the Bible, there's so many of us, we binge read the Bible, and you read it wrong because you think it's a book about you. It's a book about a God who loves you. That's different. And so here's the bottom line for all of us today. What is Jesus trying to say to them? What is he saying to us? Well, here's this one thing. This is what the Gospels declare, that Jesus fulfilled the law of God so you and I can find fulfillment in the love of God. You, Jesus fulfilled the law of God so that you and I can find fulfillment in the love of God. We don't have to find fulfillment in his love by following rules, but now we can find fulfillment in his love, under the loving rule of our God. That's what Jesus was inviting people to do. That's what he was inviting them into. That is what he is inviting us every day. If you are not a believer, he's inviting you to take part and say, listen, you ain't got to be chasing anything else, man. I've done it for you. Now all you have to do is step in and claim this victory. That's what you got to do. For all of us who are believers and followers of Christ, same thing. We got to always come again. Once again, remember, it is not about, this is not about obligation. You are not, we are no longer allowed to or called to follow the law out of just obligation. We are called to surrender to the rule of God out of satisfaction because of his love for us. He fulfilled the law of God so we can find fulfillment in his love. And so here's how do we do that. Well, you got to be a doer and not a destroyer of the truth. You got to be a reflector and not a relaxer. That's what Jesus said. That's what he's telling us. You got to be a doer and not a destroyer. How? By reflecting the truth in your life. By letting that truth hit you. The content shape your character and reflecting your content. You got to reflect the truth. You got to reflect it, not relax it. How, how do you relax the truth? You know how people relax the truth every day today? Oh, you know, there's no such thing as truth. They relax. They just kind of let back on. Like, There's no such thing as truth. Your truth is my truth. Truth is truth. What is truth? There's no truth. That's relaxing the truth. Because to say there is no truth is to acknowledge and to put the truth of God under all. Or all is true. Everything is equally true. Yeah, it doesn't matter if they're, you know, everybody says different things. Everything is true. You're relaxing the truth. You relax the truth. Here's how Christians do this one. You ready? Hey, God, it's 2019. I think we can relax a little bit on some of these sins, right? And so, I mean, I know back in the day it was, but can we relax? I think it's 2019. We're a little more progressive now, right? I think we can, you know, that doesn't have to. It's, you know, so we rewrite, we shift, we relax by rephrasing. Oh, that's not a sin. That's not bad, right? That's, and we rationalize. You know how you relax the truth? By rationalizing your misbehavior. You rationalize your disobedience. No, I can do that. That's all right. I'm good. You relax the truth. What happens when you relax the truth? You destroy the truth. It destroys you. You think, well, God, well, why you got to be like that? God, can, can you just, I mean, why you got to be like that? Well, would you allow that 
action and others, others to relax on their responsibilities. Would you trust the surgeon to operate on you if you knew he had a habit of relaxing on his procedures? And skipping steps here and there, not following the rules all the way. Would you surrender and you would trust a surgeon with your body? Would you trust your, you know, your mechanic with your car if you knew that he relaxed on some of the rules and regulations? Didn't tighten up all those bolts all the time. He was like, I'm busy. Would you trust your car to somebody to work on your car if he relaxed on some of those procedures? Would you trust a cook who relaxed on things like washing the food and cleaning his hands and stuff like that and cooking things to temperature and cooking things to proper temperature so you don't catch salmonella and whatever. Would you trust to eat his food? Would you? You wouldn't. You wouldn't. So if you would not, if you would hold other people accountable for not relaxing, for relaxing, I'm sorry, on their responsibilities, why do we think that God does not care if we relax on our responsibility to the truth? on our approach to the truth, how we define the truth. Do you know what happens when you sin? You break a commandment. When you relax the truth, you break God's commandments. You can't follow the truth if you relax on it. You rephrase it, you rationalize it. If you do that, you know what you do? If you relax on the truth, you break God's commandments. And when you break God's commandments, you break his heart. You break his heart. Christians, non-Christians alike, you break his heart when you break his commandments. And why does it break his heart? Because he loves you. He sees that as you break the commandments, it breaks his heart because you don't see that your actions are breaking you, destroying your purpose and your destiny. You're choosing a plastic plant for the life-giving tree that he's bought for you. You're choosing to lick the food from the banquet that he has given you says, why are you going to relax? When I've done it all, we are not called to relax. We are called to do. Be reflectors of the truth. You know how you are a reflector of the truth? By number one saying, if God, whatever God has declared is true, amen, I agree. I don't care if my culture says different. Truth is truth. Good is good. But now how does that truth matter? Do we come out and start condemning people and pointing people? Hey, you're a sinner and that's a sin. And God's going to send you to hell because that's what he said. No. You reflect the truth by reflecting Jesus. You reach out to others. Here's how you, you want to be a doer of the truth? You want to be a reflector of the truth? Here's how you do it. You reach out to others just like Jesus reached out to you. You reach out to the people who disagree with you, who, who don't like you, who you might not like. You reach out to them because Jesus reached out to you. You forgive others just as Jesus forgave you. You forgive yourself for breaking God's commandments or for breaking God's heart just as Jesus forgave you. You are patient with others just as Jesus was patient with you. You are good to others just as Jesus has been good to you. You treat others the way Jesus treats you. You love others the way Jesus loves you. That's how you do it. That's how you reflect it. You reflect the love of Jesus in all that you do. Nothing else. You do that you're eating from that tree. You do that, you ain't just licking it. You are tasting and seeing for yourself that God is good. And that good is doing something in you that's doing something through you. That's what we are called to do.
That's what Jesus, and Jesus did it all. If there was a thousand things that needed to be done, Jesus did 999. There's just one thing left for us to do. Receive that truth. Let me ask you a question. Are you a relaxer or are you a doer? And I'm going to put you on it. Here you go. I'm going to put you on this now. How many of you have relaxed the truth just this week? Thank you for being, I didn't even ask you to raise your hand. Thank you for being bold. No, that's, thank you. Because you know what? There were some people, there were some people who, who weren't going to do that. I'm like, mm, thank you. How many of you have relaxed on your responsibilities this week? How many of you have relaxed on the truth and said, you know, I'll now do it. I can do it one more time. What's one more time? God's going to forgive me anyways. How many of you habitually are still? You, you're so relaxed that it just, you just default. How many of us have relaxed, if we're parents, how many of us relaxed on responsibilities that we haven't fulfilled? Are we reflecting Jesus? Are we forgiving? Are we loving? Are we encouraging? Is it coming out a little different? Even me this week, I'm going to tell you, man, God has wrecking me. As a pastor, I started realizing there's responsibilities that I didn't even know I was not holding up and God was calling me out. God was calling me out. Made adjustments this week to improve. That's some of the stuff I'm doing on purpose. I'm trying to fulfill my responsibilities before God. He called me on this week. Listen, we all are. We have all relaxed the truth at some point. You are probably doing it even right now. But now is not a time for relax. Look, when you want to relax... That's what heaven's for, okay? Heaven, you can relax all day, and you ain't got to worry about doing anything wrong. Relaxing is for the other life. Right now, we got time. there's time to do something. You know what you do? This is time to apply the truth of God and pursue the heart of God. Not following rules, not trying to be better. Man, just let God's love, let his truth do the better and the true work inside of you. Let the love of God fulfill its purpose in you.